So we are starting a brand new series. We just finished the Future You series where we're asking these questions. Who am I going to be in five years if I continue on the path I'm on? And who do I want to be in five years? Those are the two questions because now's the time to get off the train if you do not like the direction that your life is headed. You can change it. You can change it now. Well, this series, it's not complicated, takes a practical look at setting a couple key goals that I think every Christ follower should set. Every Christian should pursue to grow to be more like Jesus. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, okay. So how do you do that? Well, during this series, we're going to talk about two, I think, really, really essentials in being that person who exemplifies Jesus. And what we're going to find is that setting these goals and seeing them to full completion is not that complicated. It really isn't. Author Mark Batterson writes, you won't accomplish 100% of the goals you don't set. You're not going to accomplish those things that you don't set. So let's set some goals that over the course of the next week, month, year, five years, till infinity, will have the most significant impact in our lives. Let's set some goals like that. Now, part of where this message comes from is some research that I learned about a number of years ago, and it literally turned my world sideways. Now, I knew all of this to be, to be true, but I had no idea that there would actually be scientific evidence to prove it. And what I'm talking about was an extensive research project that was looking and examining spiritual growth in the lives of believers and church attenders called the Reveal Study. It was published in 2011. Now, what happened was this research started with the Willow Creek Community Church, and they were just looking at their own church. But it grew as a result of the interests of others to include over a 1,000 churches and over a quarter million people who attend church, believers and non-believers alike. It lasted over a four-year period, and they can. They compiled all this, in, this information together, all this data together. The initial goal of the Willow Creek team was to identify the activities and programs that they offered that would deliver the greatest potential for spiritual growth of their people. And what they learned, it, it blew them away. It really was troubling to their leadership when they found that the research generated all this data, tremendous amount of data, but there was one key piece of information that stood out from all the other. The most effective strategy for moving people forward in their journey of faith is biblical engagement. Nothing else came even remotely close. Not just setting, not just setting people up while they're in church to experience the Bible, that's important, but helping them to engage in the Bible on a regular basis outside of church meetings. This is how they summed up the research. Everywhere we turned, the data revealed the same truth. Spending time in the Bible is hands down the highest impact personal spiritual practice. More specifically, reflecting on the meaning of Scripture is the spiritual practice that is most predictive of spiritual growth. So when we read the Bible and we reflect on it, that's the greatest potential for spiritual growth. So if you want to grow spiritually and you want to become more like Jesus in the way you live your life, 
then we need to plan to spend time in the Bible on a regular basis. There's a key point. Biblical engagement prompts spiritual change. Biblical engagement prompts spiritual change. When we spend time in the Bible, we grow, we change. This is how, Paul, this is how the Apostle Paul put it. In Romans this 12th chapter, verse 2, he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transformation that he calls for results in the renewing of our minds. The Greek word that Paul used for transformation is the Greek word metamorpho. It doesn't mean a lot to most of us, but that's where we get our English word metamorphosis. You remember probably it was in elementary school or maybe middle school where they taught us about the caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly. They called it metamorphosis, and that's the word that Paul's talking about here. The transformation that he's referring to is radical, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. So how does change like this happen? It happens by the renewing of our minds, Paul said. And what renews our minds is the truth that comes from God, which can come in a variety of sources. You can get this in so many different ways. You can hear it in sermons like today, or you can hear it in podcasts, or you can hear it in a Christian book, or you can hear it in the testimony of another believer. But here's the thing. The main source and the best source for this knowledge, for this truth, is the Bible. When we read and study the Bible, our thoughts are changed, Paul says, which will lead to change in our actions as we apply the word to our lives. The result is a new way of thinking, which can lead to a new way of living. The principles that Jesus taught can become the principles that you and I live by. Listen to what I'm saying. Biblical thinking leads to Christ-like living. Biblical engagement brings spiritual change. It brings transformation. So, if we desire to deepen our relationship and knowledge of God, and we desire to know more about the direction that he gives, if we want transformation in our own lives, then we need to put ourselves in a place where we can grow in the Word of God, in the Bible. So what I want to do for the bulk of the time that we have this morning is I want to share with you what I think are four progressive steps that lead us closer to where we want to be in biblical engagement. The first step is this. Listen to biblical truth. Listen to biblical truth. We need to be in a place where we can hear what God has to say. More than just this moment. This is a great moment. Don't, don't miss meeting together. This is what the body does on a regular basis to encourage, our, to encourage us and to strengthen us and to lift us up. But this isn't enough. This isn't enough. Where is that spot? Where is that place where you meet with God? Do you have a spot? Kind of a sacred place, a holy place? Remember when Moses stood before the burning bush and the Lord instructed him to take his sandals off because where he stood was what? Holy ground, right. Where is that holy ground place where you encounter God? Where is that? Do you have a place where you reflect on his word and you open yourself up to his power? Where do you become aware of his presence in your life? Where's that place? Where is it? The great thing about the unlimited presence of God is that you can meet him anywhere. It might be a booth in McDonald's over your lunch hour 
Or it might be the front seat of your pickup before work with your Bible and a thermos of coffee. It might be the corner table at Starbucks or a desk in the public library. It doesn't matter. You have to have a place, though, where you can soak up the Bible and meet with God and surrender yourself to him and ask for the direction that he only he can give for your life. You see, the Bible is the primary resource to draw from in order to hear from God. People who desire to deepen their relationship with Jesus, like the disciples in the first century, listened to what Jesus had to say. And then when Jesus had ascended into heaven, they started listening to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we had the Word of God in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. We have a lot going for us in knowing who God is and what he wants us to know. There are numerous ways, as I mentioned, to hear God, to listen to him. Sermons, Bible studies, prayer times, life groups, D groups, Bible classes, podcasts. It goes on and on. But probably the best opportunity to hear from God is to simply read the Bible for yourself. And there's never been a time in history when it was easier to read or listen to the Bible than now. The advancements in technology have given us tools like the YouVersion app, over a billion downloads of this app worldwide. And we can read the Bible from our phone, our tablet, our laptop, our computer, wherever. But in case all else fails, all the technology fails, your smartphone runs out of juice, your laptop can't get on the internet, You can always go old school and read a hard copy. They call it the Bible. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. (laughs) Make it a priority to spend time listening to God speak to you, to you, through his word. And once God has our attention, we're listening to him, then the next step in biblical engagement is to learn biblical truth. Learn biblical truth. Learn what God is saying. I love what Romans 15, verse 4 says. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. That means the whole Bible, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation was written to teach us, to help us understand the narrative that God had about how he loved us and what he did in order to save us. And then then Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Anybody need some hope? Well, what Paul is saying is it's found in the Bible. You read God's narrative. You read his story. You're going to walk away with hope. You're going to walk away with hope. The Bible is a vital tool that God gave us to encourage us so that we might find hope and we might be able to hold on to it. The knowledge of the scriptures affects our attitude toward the present and the future. You see, the more we know about what God has done in the past, the greater confidence we have about what he will do today and into the future. That's what the Apostle Paul called faith. It's based on fact. God did this. Therefore, I can trust him when I face that. And it may not be out there. It might be right here. Some of you limped in here today going, I need a little bit of something. Well, you came to the right place because this is a place where you're going to find hope. That's what Paul said. So as you listen and you learn from God's word, ask yourself these two questions, two important questions. What is God saying in this text? Okay, I'm going to give you a little hint, okay? When it comes to preaching, you should not care what I think, right? You should care what God says. 
okay? Because if I start talking about what I think, we're getting off the point of where we should be because the key here is found in what God has to say. So we should be asking, whether it's in a sermon or whether we're sitting there in our spot with God, holy ground, where we're encountering him through his word, listening to what he has to say, we should ask, what is God saying in this text, in this passage, in this paragraph, in this verse? What is he saying? What is he saying? And the second question is, how does this apply to me? Because you know what? Some of it's going to apply differently to you because you're a female or you're older or you're younger or you're a different race or nationality. You come from a different part of the state. It's going to apply to us differently sometimes. Some of it will apply to all of us. Let me remind you that God has a purpose for this word. And it's not like an Indiana Jones movie that's hidden out in the middle of the desert somewhere. You have to go look for it. He wants you to know it. So spend time with him to listen to what he has to say and ask those questions. It's important to identify the truth. We want to know the truth. We want to know the message that God is, is communicating. I confess, there are times when I sit down to do my Bible reading, and I'll read a chapter. There were times in the past where I read three chapters, and then when I got ready to close the Bible, it dawned on me. I don't remember one thing about what I just said, what I just read, excuse me. And it happened to anybody in here? <laughs> and so what did I do? I went back and I reread the three <laughs> chapters again. Did I want to do that? No, I did not. Because I'm a box checker, you know? I just checked those three boxes. But here's the thing. If you want to be sharper when it comes to putting what God has to say into context into your life, I want to encourage you when you sit down with your Bible, also sit down with a journal or a pad of paper or even just a piece of paper and write down the things that stand out to you, that seem to speak to your heart, your soul. Some of you, you go with a highlighter and you highlight those things in your Bible. I'm kind of an underline guy. Get a straight rule, underline it. I want to remember it when I see it again. And you know what's funny? Is that I don't always remember the verse, chapter and verse of a passage. But I remember where it was in my Bible. It's in Matthew and it's in the top right-hand corner, right? And so I go through and I go, there it is. I found it. Oh, I should memorize that verse. And I never do, but I remember the, ver the reference. I never remember it, but I remember where it was. Some of you need to highlight things. Some of you need to take some of those things and actually memorize the verse. The psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Those verses will be so powerful to you in the moment when you need them. They're like bullets in a gun. The Bible's referred to as a sword. It's the only offensive weapon we have against the enemy, our spiritual battle. You can do all these things. You can write all this stuff down. You can do it during a sermon or during a, a life group or a class or D group gathering. You keep track of the truths of God's word, the things that stand out to you, and then reflect on them. Memorize those verses. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 12, verse 15. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So we need to know what that is. 
And then he says, he will, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. If you love me, you will obey what I command, Jesus said. It is important to know what God is saying. So we listen to biblical truth, and then we learn biblical truth, which leads us to step number three of biblical engagement, and that is live out biblical truth. Once you know truth, you should put it into practice. Listen to what James said about this in James 1, verse 22. And if you're highlighting, have that highlighter ready because, or you're underlining, get ready because there's some really good stuff here. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You should highlight that. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You should underline that too. James makes the point that we should respond to God's word by doing what it says. When we apply the Bible by living it out in our lives, God promises that we will be blessed in what we do. Stephen Covey said this about teaching others, learning things. He said, you don't really know something until you're able to teach it to at least two other people. Well, that leads us to the fourth step in this progression of biblical engagement. Lead others to learn biblical truth. Once you know it, then you're capable and qualified to teach others that. Time spent listening, learning, living out God's word equip us to lead others to know the truth. And we want everyone to grow in the truth. We want everyone to experience spiritual transformation. The kingdom of God will grow and it's gonna expand. And we have a role in that. It's to teach others what the Bible says. You remember the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. That was not written to ministerial staff. That was written to all believers. So we all play a role in that teaching them all that I've commanded you part. You know, we're, we, we have a role in the whole thing, but I'm spotlighting that one part, right? We play a key part in explaining the truth to other people. This is called discipleship. Spending time with a person and investing all that God has commanded us into their life. A disciple is defined simply as a follower, a learner, or a student. To be a disciple of Jesus will mean a life change at the head level, the heart level, and the hands level. It's gonna change how we live, how we think, how we feel, and how we act leading others to learn biblical truth focuses on investing in another person so that they have enough information about Jesus to be able to put their faith in him as Lord and Savior and follow him for the rest of their life. After we've discipled them, then they will be equipped to move on to lead others to understand the good news also. You know, there's a great illustration about leading others to know so that they can, in turn, later on lead others to know. That comes from the, the college football world. Uh, a, big, a big fan, of, I was a big fan of Hayden Fry. 
Hayden Fry passed away last year at the age of 90 after a long battle with cancer. And he was the head coach for 20 years at the University of Iowa. And um, he took a terrible team and turned it around. But his legacy is not known for turning this terrible program into a winning program. It's not about the wins at all. It's not even about the bowl games that they won. His legacy is about the assistant coaches or what people refer to as his coaching tree. His coaching tree. These were the coaches that he, he invested in who then went on to be head coaches. I want to show you a picture. 1983, the head coaches, that, or the assistant coaches in Coach Fry's coaching tree. These are the guys. These are the guys. This guy right here is Don Patterson. He went on to be the head coach at Western Illinois. Some of you will recognize this guy. His name is Bob Stoops. In 2000, he was the head coach at Oklahoma. His second year, they won the national championship. This guy right here, Barry Alvarez, went on to be the head coach at Wisconsin, and now he's the athletic director there. This guy right here is Bill Snyder. He's the longtime coach at K-State, Kansas State. This guy right here is Dell Miller, and he was a head coach at Southwest Missouri State. And this guy right here, Kirk Ferentz. He's the guy that took over for Coach Fry, the guy in the dark jacket. But this picture, it doesn't do justice because this is just a snapshot of his part of his coaching tree. In, 19, in 1983, but there were a whole lot more. Brett Bielema played for Coach Ferentz, for Coach Fry, excuse me, at the University of Iowa, and he went on to be the head coach replacing Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin. Chuck Long, who was the quarterback at Iowa, played under Coach Fry. He, he finished second in the Heisman Heisman voting that year to a guy by the name of Bo Jackson, one of the closest votes in college Heisman history. He went on to be the head coach at San Diego State. Bo Pelini was an assistant, was a grad assistant in 1991 and then assistant under Coach Fry. He went on to Nebraska and now coaches at Youngstown State. But that doesn't, it doesn't even end there. You guys might know who Bob Stoops is because he just happens to be related to Mike Stoops, who was a player and an assistant under Coach Fry. And he coached at Arizona. But you're probably more familiar with a guy by the name of Mark Stoops, who also coached and played under Coach Fry at Iowa. And he's our beloved coach of the Kentucky Wildcats. This guy's influence is everywhere. A coach teaching his assistants what he knows about coaching, who in turn go on to be head coaches themselves. Let me ask you a question. Why did I waste all that time talking about one of my childhood heroes? I want to ask you, what does your discipleship tree look like? We talk about it. We can talk about discipleship all we want. What does your discipleship tree look like? When you and I are gone, when we're gone, what will our discipleship tree be that is left behind? the people we invested in. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verse two. He said this, and the things you, Timothy, have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. 
Did you catch it? Paul's talking about generations of disciples. He said, I taught you these things. In the presence of other witnesses, Timothy, you heard these things. You turn around and you teach them to reliable men, third generation, who will then in turn later teach those very things to others, fourth generation. If we invest in one and then they invest in another and they invest in another, we will win this world for Christ. There's one other significant point in order for us to accomplish this transformation. It doesn't have to happen, but I think it makes transformation work so much better. And that is that every believer needs other believers. Oh, you can do this on your own. But that is a really, really tough mountain face to climb. The English poet John Doan wrote, No man is an island entire of himself. King Solomon knew exactly what... what uh, what John Doan was talking about, because he wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. I want to give you three reasons why I think we need one another. The first one is we need, together we have encouragement. We have encouragement Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. You remember who Barnabas was? Remember when Paul was Saul and he, found, he met Christ on the road to Damascus and suddenly now he was transformed. I mean, he's, his life was changed. He had been persecuting the church and now he became an evangelist for the church. He was part of the kingdom of God. But the whole world still saw him as Saul, the persecutor of the church. Barnabas was the guy who put his arm around him and said, let's go to Jerusalem. I'll introduce you to some of my friends. Every one of us needs somebody because this walk is not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's discouraging. You've heard me say this before. My, one of my mentors, Wayne Smith, used to always say, the number one tool of Satan is discouragement. Our spiritual enemy doesn't want us to succeed it's easy to get discouraged in our faith. The enemy wants you to feel like you can't make it, you need to quit, or convince you that you're just too busy. All of us need an encourager to overcome discouragement. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Everybody, everybody needs a Barnabas. Well, there's a second reason why we need each other, and that is together we have accountability. And I would put it this way, everybody needs a Nathan. You remember who Nathan was? Nathan, no, not the youth minister who used to be here. Nathan, Nathan was the prophet who, the, who, the, who King David trusted. He trusted him so much that Nathan was the one who came in and confronted David about his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the eventual death, murder of her husband. All of us, all of us need somebody like that. It helps when we know that we can always count on that person to speak truth to us. Now, you got to give permission to them. They can't just walk it. You know, a lot of people want to share their truth to me about me, and they don't necessarily have license to do that. you got to give them permission, but there's someone you welcome in. It's not controversial. It's not, it's not invasive. You trust them. David trusted Nathan. We need people like that who will hold us accountable to help us to stay on this path, to not stray, or worse, to quit. 
Everybody needs a Nathan. Number three, together we help each other to grow. And I would say everybody needs a Paul. Think about it. Paul discipled Timothy, discipled Titus. There's a whole host of people who Paul uh, invested in. They grew in their faith and they discipled others who then would go on and disciple still others. Proverbs 27, 17, a lot of the men in this room know this verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Used to say one man sharpens another. As we lead others to learn biblical truth, it strengthens us in our faith. It sharpens us. It makes us more useful in the hands of an almighty God. I've learned from so much from men and women who have a deeper knowledge and understanding of the Bible than I do. Some of them are in this room. Some of them are people who are online and I, I, I follow them, I listen to their podcasts. When we study together, we can help one another grow. Every one of us needs a Paul in our life. So let me close with this point. Maybe you're not convinced that you need to spend any time in the Bible. Let me give you this. Biblical engagement changes lives. I don't know how. I mean, I know how in a way, but I can't explain it. You see, from St. Augustine to Martin Luther, from Wayne Smith to Francis Chan to me and to some of you, to countless more men, women, and children, the words of the Bible have transformed their lives unmistakably and forever. The author T.M. Moore said, and un, as unnamed masses of Christians down through the ages have shown us, the Bible is the most reliable place to turn for finding the key to a life of love and good works. And that is so spot on. See, the evidence of a transformed life, I'll admit, is subjective. You can't measure it. You really can't weigh it. It's difficult to put your arms around. But when you see a transformed life, you know it, don't you? You know it. The Bible's message is like nothing else. You see, this transformed life, though subjective, it may be the most powerful testimony of the divine origin of the Bible a book that God wrote. It changes people's lives. It transforms them. It's an authority. It's a power that are best seen in the way countless lives have been transformed by the supernatural power that is found in the message in that book. Addicts, liars, adulterers, thieves, even murderers have been cured, set free, transformed, rebuked, and reformed. The Bible does possess a dynamic, transforming power that is only possible because it is truly God's Word. And that's the best I can do to tell you that if you spend time in this book, I believe it'll transform your life as well. And some of you, that might be the very thing that you need some of you know this, but you've kind of gotten away from it. You know it, you used to do it, but you kind of drifted away from it. Some of you have never done it before. Here's what I want to challenge every single one of us in here. Pick a place where you're gonna meet God. You can even call it your burning bush or your holy ground. And it may be in a public place, doesn't matter. But pick a place and then pick a time where over the next month, you're gonna meet God in that place every day 
for that, at that specific time, for a certain amount of time. And I promise you, give him 10 minutes of your time. Just 10 minutes. And then we're doing this, you know, the 2000 in the word, 2020, excuse me, in the word. Where did I lose 20 years, right? <laughs> 2020 in the word. We just did Acts 16 this morning. Okay, I'm gonna, here's, what, here's the deal. We're grandfathering you in. Just start with us, okay? Just start with us. You don't have to go back to the beginning. You can if you want, but start with us, Acts 16, do it today. Pick a time, meet God there every day for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you need. And then at the end of 30 days, See if it was worth it. I can't believe for one second that there won't be something different, radically, uniquely different about you. So take that and make it a goal. And, and if by chance you find merit in that, then make it a five-year goal. Because if you thought God did something amazing, in 30 days. You wait till you see what he does when you give him five years to change your life. And some of you may say, I don't need any changes. Oh, yes, you do. So I'm gonna pray that you'll take, you'll have the courage. I'm not gonna shame you asking you next week, hey, are you doing it? But when I look at you, you know what I'm thinking. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time to talk about your word. What a powerful thing that you have used in my life. I'm so forever grateful for that, God. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that all of us in this room will be transformed, that we will take that step and say yes to you, that we want what you can do in us. And we know there's something uniquely supernatural about the message in this book powerful. So help us to listen to it, to learn from it, to, to apply it, live it in our lives. And then God, give us people that we can invest it in. Even though we may not know the whole context of everything about it, the parts that we do know, Lord, help us to invest it in the lives of others. And God, I pray that you'll move every single one of us to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this for at least 30 days. There's some in here who've been doing it for 30 years, and their lives are evidence of that. God, will you do that? Will you stir in all of our hearts? There's even some, God, who aren't followers of yours yet. They're here just checking you out. I pray, God, they would see there is value in them even taking that step. I pray, God, that they will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. It changes everything. And all God's people said.